The first years is brought to you by Golden Harvest. Golden Harvest, rooted in genetics, agronomy, and service. This is The First Years, a podcast about the unicorns of American agriculture, first-generation farmers, and the guts, grit, determination, and business prowess required to be one. All right, well, welcome to this episode of The First Years. I am excited to have Matt Nicewander on the show today. Matt is a super unique farmer in that he's also um, a physician's assistant. So Matt, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Great. Um, tell us a little bit about your farm. Yeah, well, well first of all, I just want to say thank you for having me, and, and uh, it's always a, a humbling experience, and I'm real grateful for people like you that give people like me opportunities to, to tell our story, um, which is so important. So uh, I'm actually, me and my wife, we're from Southern Middle Tennessee, yeah, we're high school sweethearts. We we grew up together and uh, got married at 19. And um, I actually got a, a job on a farm when I was 16 years old on a dairy farm. I worked for just a summer job, um, just a little extra money to take her out on weekends. And uh, so we get we, we were dated through high school, got married when we were 19. That, that love of that, that dairy farm from that summer kind of stuck with me. And um, fast forward a little bit, um, we wanted to farm, wanted to keep that going. 25 years old. I graduated school. I worked full time as a nurse practitioner and I graduated school with my master's degree and that, that farm was still with me. Of course, I grew up in the middle of town uh, in, in uh, suburban America. So we, we decided to drive some back roads and uh, we found our farm. So in 2014, uh, we bought our farm. So we've been about four, about four years uh, living on a farm in uh, outside the city limits and it's rural, definitely rural for the way we were raised. So uh, on our farm, uh, we're definitely uh, we're first generation. None of my family farms, none of my wife's family farms. Uh, like I said, we come from suburban America. We raise cattle. Uh, we do black Angus beef. Uh, we sell in a couple different markets here in our town. And uh, people come to our house and buy meat from us. We're USDA certified. And uh, that's, that's kind of our, uh, our focus right now with our farm. We bounced around a little bit between different ideas. And we landed on uh, selling beef to the public. So you just decided, like when you were in high school, working on that dairy farm, someday I'm going to be a farmer. <laughs> Is that how, I mean, you just like loved it? Yeah. So the, um, if you've ever worked on a dairy, it's early in the morning and uh, it's, it can be a little bit of a dirty job at times and you're working with cows a lot. And um, although they're sometimes easier than that in working with people, cows can be a little frustrating too. But uh, so that just something about the cattle just stuck with me and the farm, the farm life, the, the ideas, the ethics and the morals that farmers have and the way they live their lives, you know, hard work and, and putting in an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. And uh, just, just the rural environment, um, something drew me to that. I have no, it's not in my blood um, or wasn't, it's not in my family genetics. It, you know, nothing like that. I'm, I come from a family full of factory workers and blue collar, blue collar people. So, uh, that that farm thing was wasn't in me and everybody thought I was crazy getting the job in the first place. But yeah, I just love the cows. I just, I just really love working with the cattle and the people. And, and uh, I carried that all the way through till 2014 with me. So then you graduate from high school, you go to college, you become a nurse practitioner. 
and you have a clinic, right? Yeah. So um, three weeks ago, actually, uh, I've been working in the medical field for about 13 years. I've been a nurse practitioner for about uh, going on seven years. And about three weeks ago, we opened up our own medical practice here in our town, wherever we were born, wherever we were raised. And it's been a, it's been another adventure. Uh, so we're running a, a meat business and we're running a medical practice. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't, doesn't sound like it has any connection, but, you know, I talk to people all day uh, about their health. And having a farm background uh, allows people that almost wouldn't go to a doctor because, you know, there's farmers and ranchers, they, they're, they like to think they're a little tougher than the normal human. And uh, because I have that connection with them of the farm background and family farm atmosphere and, and agricultural background now, I make a connection with them. So uh, it really blends together really, really well. So it's been a struggle, but our office is doing great. I'm actually here now working uh, on, a, on a break. So. So you, okay, so let me get this straight. So you go to college, you, you start working in the medical field, and then you and your wife just get a wild hair and start driving around trying to find a farm, and you just pick one and buy it. That's, uh, so you got to remember, I had, because I didn't come from a farming background, I didn't have farming friends either. So I didn't have anybody I could really go to and say, what do I look for in a farm? In my head, I had that little house on the prairie uh, you know, kind of idea. and. Uh, we, we were familiar with our county, so we drove some back roads in areas we liked. And, uh, yeah, we essentially came up on a farm uh, on, a, on a dead-end road uh, that was really just a house and some open land. Had no fences, no barns, and we just saw the potential in it. Um, so that in 2014, you know, we had been married uh, at that point 10 years. So that was kind of our 10-year anniversary present to ourselves. So um, in July, actually moved on 4th of July weekend, we moved into a, to our farm. and. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have any knowledge. And that's one of the biggest things with first generation farmers is a knowledge deficit. I, I didn't have anybody to go ask. I didn't have that network of friends yet. And that honestly makes it probably the hardest, but it also makes it the most rewarding because you are starting from scratch and uh, you, you learn and, and develop things with new and fresh ideas. I, one thing I can tell you from day one, I'm a YouTube farmer. Uh, <laughs> I have learned more on YouTube about how to buy a farm, how to build a fence, uh, how to work cattle, how to build a working facility, um, how to properly care for your cattle. Just anything you could think of, I've pulled up on YouTube. You know, my generation, that's what we do. We, we need to learn something, we go to YouTube. You are the second first generation farmer this week that has told me that. <laughs> yeah, it's true. One question I have is when you, so, you have this knowledge deficit that you talked about, and I do think that that is an important piece to, to, to sit on. You said you went to YouTube, but do you have any other advice for first-generation farmers as to how not only to find that information, but to start building a network of people that you can ask? Yeah, because, because first-generation farmers don't have a dad or a, or a family member or grandma or grandpa, that person they can go to, um, you definitely have to find a way to build a network and without that you, you really can't succeed so first you got to look um right on the edge of your fences at your neighbors and you'll you'll find somebody and i, I found a, a mentor of mine who's uh been farming a long time and he took me in he's basically but he's a member of my family uh, he's like a grandpa to me so uh, that initially but you've got to get bigger than that because as a first generation farmer you can't come in with all the equipment and all the all the cattle and all the land you've got to really think outside the box so for me 
my biggest network, the way I built that was, uh, there is a grant program in Tennessee that, that will help do a call share program uh-huh. on equipment, uh, on new genetics, on buildings. And they have, they do some training classes you, you have to do to qualify for that grant. So the training classes there, it's an ag enhancement program that really helped me. Uh, that was a, a month long thing. So after that, I was looking for another way to build another network and, and to grow. And to me, the, the farm bureau program, the young farmers and ranchers, uh, here in Tennessee is really strong and that has been really just priceless. I, I could never repay what they've given me. Uh, it gave me opportunities not only to, to grow a network of people I could ask questions, but also help me grow my uh, leadership skills, my advocacy skills. And, and like I said, just that farmer rancher tribe that if I have a cow that's having cabin problems, I can, I have somebody right now on speed dial I can call and they could walk me through the process. Um, and that, that young farmers and ranchers or wife and R has really been invaluable to, to me and my family. I can see that. I think I know in, in our area, it's a growing program too. And one that I think is very important. You mentioned to me that you guys do a lot of advocacy and helping kids learn more about farming. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So we have, uh, our own, we have three sons. We have an eight, a three, and a two year old that we've all, they're all adopted and uh, they have grown up on the farm now. We have a lot of experience with kids on the farm uh, there, but uh, I actually, uh, here in our local, I'll try to start local, but locally we, we've sort of partnered with some of the schools. We've become the face of farming, even though we're brand new to this, uh, we've become the face of farming because you understand that those outreach uh, projects are important because there's kids just like me that were sitting in those desks or going home to their subdivisions and they want to know how do I get this going or, they don't believe they can. So we know there's kids like us out there right now that will grow into being and doing what we're doing now. So uh, we partnered with some schools on some summer programs. They bring busloads of kids out and they pet the cows and pet the horses. Uh, we, we go to our local um, fairgrounds and we bring cattle and we bring horses and we teach kids about that. And then also on a national level, the Young Farmers and Ranchers program, we have we've been all over the country uh, advocating for agriculture. I actually was selected Two years ago, I'm part of this Partners in Advocacy Leadership Program, uh, which is a partnership between a few different agricultural companies that sends me around the world uh, where there's a need and to also to study. So I've been I've been to Europe and Belgium. I've been to Boston, uh, Utah, St. Louis. Uh, I've studied at Monsanto with some of the best people in advocacy there. So I've had the opportunity to talk to not only consumers but also a lot of politicians. Um, then um, a lot of media engagements and went to New York City and talked to some uh, newspapers there, the Washington Post, New York Times. And that that kind of stuff has a bigger audience, obviously, and it's very important. But we love having the kids come on the farm. Uh, the kids that have never touched a cow, seen a cow, know how farming works, have an idea maybe. Uh, to hear their parents see me at the grocery store and pull me to the side and say, hey, you taught my kid this, and I didn't know that myself. That That's pretty rewarding to see that. Yeah, I'm sure. That's awesome. You mentioned a little bit on the knowledge deficit, but what has been the biggest challenge in starting your farm? So right off the bat, the initial capital investment and acquisition, along with a steady, predictable income, I say that's probably the biggest barrier for first-generation farmers to remain sustainable. Just like any other farmer, any other business, we want to pass it on to our children. As a first-generation farmer, you've got to uh, spend so much capital and so much investment up front uh, and you've got to make sure you put it in the right places. And without that network of people to advise you, you know, you rely on YouTube or if there's a class, maybe if you're lucky enough to have in your local area, 
uh, it's hard. So starting from scratch, it takes hundreds of thousands of dollars to even begin to get, to, to get the thing started. Um, it's, a, it's a financial commitment. And I would say that's probably one of the most intimidating parts of it. Kind of have to learn as you go. You have no guarantee. All along, you're more than likely three-fourths of farmers work off the farm. And first-generation farmers are going to be in that percentage for sure. So that capital investment is difficult. Secondly, I would say just being creative, learning how to spend wisely and grow with your market, being very flexible. We had to do that. We had to watch and learn. We, we wanted to raise cattle. So that's what we got into. We're not big enough. We didn't have enough money to, to start a big farm with, with cows and um, having cows that are pregnant and having calves every year for us. Um, we just didn't have enough land to handle all that. So we had to be really creative. So we bought cows thinking that's what we we're going to do. We realized really quickly that you, we couldn't make profit and, and sustain our farm for our family. And that's how we got into the meat business. Now, I don't know anything about processing cattle at the time. I didn't know anything about cuts of meat. I like steak. I like hamburgers. Uh, so keeping your, keeping your mind open to those things that, you know, you're not comfortable with, you know, you've already made this initial investment. That's going to be a little bit more, but knowing what your market needs, understanding your market dynamics, who your customers might be. Maybe it's a pumpkin patch, you know, maybe it's, uh, organic, maybe it's grass fed, maybe, maybe it's a certain crop that you've never grown before. or don't know about, you got to be really flexible. And that's, that's very difficult to be when you've already spent so much money and time doing it one way and you realize your markets have changed or it wasn't what you planned. Mm -hmm. So that meat selling beef to our local markets has been very rewarding. We get that one-on-one -on -one customer interaction. They know us, they know their farmer, they know who grows that meat for them, who raises those cattle and how we raise them. Uh, and then it helps us know how to market our products as well. I would be curious to know, you know, my, my husband and I started our farm in uh, 2013. 2014 and there's a lot of opinions about it and i would love to know what the worst piece of advice that you've gotten is mm. so i did initially before we bought cattle um i was still putting fences up i went to the sale barns and sat with some of the old timers and people that lived and breathed at these sale barns every week all over the place and we look we were lucky enough to have a local sale barn at the time it's closed down now but some of the old timers um They've been around a long time. They're real salty, had a lot of experience. They they give some advice based on what works for them and how they do things and how they've made money through the years. And and some of those guys are 70, 80 years old and have some great advice. But markets have changed. The economy has changed. The trade has changed globally. And that's something I think about. I'm selling meat just here in, in southern middle Tennessee in, in a small county. But those global markets affect me as well. And a lot of those, uh, a lot of the people I got advice on with the sale barn early on gave me advice based on local stuff and how it was always done and how they've always done it. And that's the way it should always be done. But something I realized real quick is that as a first generation farmer, I could not keep up with these established farms. I had to utilize some of that old, old knowledge and uh, some of the really good stuff that they gave me, but I had to realize I had a plan and I had some financial plans and the aspects of that financial plan, I had to stick to it. Couldn't try to go too overboard. Um, I couldn't get into a big cow calf uh, farm where uh, I had all these mama cows running around. Uh, I just I couldn't financially do that. Now they were telling me that was the way to do it. The only way to make money. Uh, and, and some of that advice was, um, they were, they, they had good intentions, but maybe, um, 
didn't realize what my personal plan was, you know, so, um, some good advice, but you do have to be careful. You got to realize you can't keep up with the established farms. You, you can't do it the same way it's always been done. You're coming in as a new market and they don't know you. You're not, uh, you're not doing things the same way. So that was, that was probably some of the, some of the, I had to sort through some of the advice. It wasn't bad advice. I just had to sort through it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very kind way to say it. Uh, <laughs> when we, yeah, when we started our, so we, my husband and I have a dairy and we milk sheep and goats and um, we went, you know, to get insurance on them because we purchased them um, through USDA's beginning farmer and rancher program. And so you have to have insurance on them, obviously. So we went there to purchase insurance. The same company that his family has done business with for 50 years. And uh, the lady said, well, you can't milk a sheep. I can't sell you insurance. Yeah. So it's like you said, getting, you know, helping other people to understand new ideas can be a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. We, we just recently, my, my oldest son, he saved up some money and, and wanted to buy his own cow. And, uh, a friend of mine has some sheep for sale, some Katahdin hair sheep. And I don't know anything about sheep. I didn't know anything about cows four years ago either. So, uh, so he said he wanted the sheep. So we bought the sheep part, not knowing what we were going to do, but nobody else around here does sheep. And we already had our USDA permit to, to process meat. So, so this might be something we need to get into. So about, uh, six months ago, we bought a herd of Katahdin hair sheep. Um, it's been, we've processed a few of them and we've had pretty good response to that. So that's something totally off the wall. We don't, we don't really have a market for lamb, uh, but we've created something and there's been enough to support a small sheep herd for our USDA processing. So uh, that was a little bit of a, of a leap of faith as well, but yeah, it's working so far. That's cool. <laughs> um, Okay, well, there's one question that I ask on every episode of the podcast, and that is, to what do you credit your success? Do you think that it's, you know, skill or um, smarts, or do you think it's luck? So, I, first of all, um, I, you know, we thank God every single day for, for what he's done for us and, and uh, leading and guiding us and putting people in front of us that really needed to be there. So, so ultimately, that, that that's where uh, – where we where we went to and come from that's that's where all the the praise should go to but um besides that though just the people you know the people that were willing to take a chance on somebody like me they were willing to look at somebody that came from a subdivision that you know didn't know anything about farming couldn't drive a lawnmower much less a tractor when we started somebody that was willing to give somebody like me a chance and uh, and that right there will, that really makes somebody feel humble um, when you realize who some of these people are and that they didn't have to do that. So we're eternally grateful for some of those people that have run into us and just the networks we've been able to build. They've allowed us to build and, and connected us with some people. So it's really those relationships. Um, uh, we thank God, but we, with those relationships that we've made have been just so helpful and so beneficial. And I don't know how we would have made it without that. Yeah. I, think that finding a network of people that can support you and your goals and your dreams. I mean, uh, uh, one of my favorite authors always says, nobody cares about your dreams as much as you do. But yeah. if you can find somebody that cares half as much, um, then that's really helpful in the journey. Yeah. Oh yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. We had a really good time. I always love talking about our farm and our family and, and how we uh, how we raise cattle and, and feed our, our local community here. And, and uh, I really appreciate you having me for what you guys do uh, on your podcast for spreading the word of agriculture. That's a necessary component, and I hope more people do it. And uh, I'm, I'm really, really glad you called me to, to get in on this. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Until next week, guys, that was this week's episode of The First Years. Every American farmer works hard. It's a given. And at Golden Harvest Seeds, we believe that seed performance should be a given too. We're rooted in genetics, agronomy, and service to help you deliver a better performance in each of your fields. Your success is our success. So put us to work for you. Visit goldenharvestseeds.com or contact your local Golden Harvest Seed Advisor. And let's get started. The first years is brought to you by Golden Harvest. Golden Harvest, rooted in genetics, agronomy, and service.